Victory in Jesus just happens to be our sermon series that we've been in the last uh, few weeks. And, and the culmination, of course, is this Resurrection Sunday. This is the ultimate victory. This is why we cheer. This is why we shout. This is why we have victory over everything. It is because of the resurrection. If Jesus just died and he was a martyr, he'd be lumped with all the other martyrs, and we'd still be stuck in sin and stuck in death, and, and we'd just be practicing religion. But it's because he came out of the tomb. It's because Jesus is alive that everything changed for us. Amen. And so let's read about it in Luke 24, verses 1 through 8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Jesus, out of the tomb, alive. This is our victory. Victory over what? Well, we talked about in the very first week, Ryan talked about how we have victory over guilt and shame and condemnation that that we're no longer stuck in that downward spiral that we can get into in our sin. We can feel guilty and then shame and then the enemy heaps all the shame on us and we feel condemned and, and he set us free from that. We have victory over that, but we have victory over more than that. We actually have victory over sin. Last week we talked about how we don't have to live in that cycle of chronic sin. Actually, Jesus Victory given to us means that we are empowered to live new lives. He actually looks at us, and he doesn't see sin. He sees a new creation, and he tells us to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so the final one we're going to look at this morning is the fact that we have victory over death. Now, I love this line in Luke 24. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And and don't we do that sometimes in our lives? We, we look for life among things that are dead. We try to find fulfillment in life by going after things that really just introduce death. But we have victory over this because of Jesus' resurrection. So what does it really mean that Jesus gave us victory over death? I'm going to talk about two things this morning. The first one is, is the one that gets probably the most attention, and so I just want to touch on it this morning, and that is through Jesus, we have eternal life after death. That is what it means to have victory over death. We will all die, but that won't be the end. When Jesus rose out of that tomb, he, he changed death. Death is no longer a dead-end road for us. Death is just a blinking yellow light. Death is not the, the sign at the end of the movie that says, the end, Death now is more like the Netflix countdown, <laughs> you know, where you race to the bathroom and try to get back in time. Death is the Netflix countdown just to the next episode. That's what Jesus did for us. When he conquered death, he, he said, look, you're just going to transition into eternal life forever and ever and ever. If you give your heart to me, if you give your life to me, you don't have to fear death. You're just going to roll right into eternity. And this might be the most famous passage 
in the Bible, right? John 3, 14 through 17 says, The Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't show up to condemn. He showed up to save, and if we give our heart to him, if we surrender our life to him, we will have eternal life forever. And some of you this morning, that needs to be a decision that you make this morning. You've danced around it, you've heard about it, and this morning you need to surrender your life to Jesus. He's been knocking on the door of your heart for a long time now, and this is the morning. He's saying, look, I gave my life for you. I love you. And this morning it's time to surrender to him and experience eternal life. But I think it means even more than that, you know, because if it just means, if victory over death just means we get to be in eternity with Jesus forever and ever, then we kind of have to wait for it, right? It means that we don't get to experience it now. It means we have to wait till we die to experience this victory over death that Jesus purchased for us, that Jesus won for us when he came out of that tomb. And so I want to focus on this morning is this reality that it means even more than just waiting till we die and experience eternity. Victory over death for us actually impacts our life right now today. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He has this whole conversation with the Christians in Corinth about this idea of victory over death and what it really means for them. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter, but I'm just going to do some snippets here. Verse 20 says this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And then he goes down to verse 26. He says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus put to death, death itself. It has no more claim. It has no more power. It can't intimidate anymore. And then at the end of this chapter, in verse 54, he says this, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. What's he talking about there? He's saying our bodies will die. But we can clothe these bodies with resurrected bodies. We can clothe the perishable with the imperishable. The imperishable will go on forever and ever and ever. Our resurrected bodies will go on in eternity forever and ever and ever. He says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is a reality, but we have the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice this phrase here. He gives us the victory. It's not he will one day give us the victory. He gives us right now victory over death in our lives today, this week. That's what he paid for. So what does it look like to live in victory over death right now? Well, I want to focus on this phrase right here. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. See, when death was introduced, it was back in the Garden of Eden. So we have to understand what happened back there in the Garden to understand how Jesus gave us complete victory over what happened back in the Garden, over all that went wrong with Adam and Eve. Jesus basically reverses the damage from the Garden of Eden. 
And I want you to tuck this in your back pocket this morning because this is kind of what we're going to be focused on as we look at the Garden of Eden, how Jesus transformed that. All forms of death start as a form of rejection. And if you want to dig into rejection and, and read about kind of how rejection has, a, has an effect on our spiritual lives, I encourage anything written by Chris Hayward on the topic of rejection. Tuck this in your back pocket this morning. All forms of death start as a form of rejection. Let's look at this story and how it all began in Genesis 3. This is where everything starts to go wrong in creation. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, isn't that how all temptation starts? Did God really say that in his word? Are you sure? That's, that's how it all begins. Satan says, did God really say that? Did, are you sure that's true in his word? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Is that really what God said? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, she adds that phrase. God never said don't touch it. He just said don't eat it, but we do that too, right? We take God's commands, and we kind of add to them. And see, I think at this point, the enemy sees an opening, He says, look, Eve, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see how subtle the temptation is? When God created man and woman in Genesis 1, do you remember what he said about them? He said that he created them in his image. God loves the fact that we're like God. Adam and Eve were already like God. God created them that way. God created us to be like him. But notice what the enemy says. He, 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 he's cunning. So he says, you know, if you, the God's just, God doesn't want you to be like him. No, no, God created Adam and Eve to be just like him in his own image. Satan says, no, 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 if you eat this fruit, you're, you're going to be just like God. And God knows that. He doesn't want you to have that. He, he doesn't want you to have all that fun. He doesn't want you to know good and evil. He doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to have power over you. He wants to oppress you. Can't you hear the conversation? And they're all lies. And here's the deal. Here's what the accusation is. It's an accusation of rejection. Underneath all this, here's what the enemy is saying. Hey, God's forgotten about you. God's rejected you, Eve. Don't you know that? Not, he, he doesn't want you to eat this fruit. He's rejected you. We're lied to by the enemy, and we're told that we've been rejected by God. And if we believe this lie, there are devastating consequences that are coming. And here's how that lie gets in our life today. We experience rejection from someone that's really important to us. Our parents get divorced. Dad leaves. Mom's too harsh. Whatever it is. Friend leaves. Friend hurts us. Someone that we really, really love dies. And what does the enemy do? We experience pain. We experience trauma. We experience abuse. We experience rejection. And the enemy comes in and whispers. And you know what he whispers? God's forgotten about you. God's rejected you. Don't you see? God's rejected you. Guys, and that's the moment for us. That is the moment. That is the moment we have to make a decision because if we agree with that, it all goes downhill from there. If we agree with the lie that God has rejected us in that moment, it all goes, here's how it goes downhill. 
Genesis 3.6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, notice that God created it good and the enemy wanted to twist something good into something evil. That's what the enemy, the enemy can't create. Do you know that? Only God is the creator. So the best the enemy can do is take God's good creation and twist it into something evil. That's all he can do. He can imitate, he can lie, he can twist. That's what he did here. So she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So why did they eat it? Ultimately, because they believed the lie that they were rejected. And when that happens, they ended up rejecting God. Don't trust God. He's holding out on you. Do it your own way. You know best. Society knows best. God doesn't know best. And then we end up rejecting God. We reject his promises. We reject his boundaries that keep us safe. We reject his word. We reject his commands. We reject the truth that he's spoken over our lives. And when we reject God, there's this break that happens, this separation. It doesn't just stop with distrust, guys. If we follow this trail to its end, there's this descent that happens. But it all starts with not trusting God's word, not trusting that what God really said is true. It starts with distrust. Now, distrust doesn't seem that harmful, but this is where the enemy will take us if we let him. It's a descent that you have probably witnessed maybe in your own life or in the life of other people. Distrust leads to doubt. Doubt starts to creep in and leads to kind of a cynicism about the world, about God, And then idolatry simply is worshiping something other than God, giving our life to something other than God because God just doesn't seem worth it anymore. So we're going to give our life to something that seems worth it. That's idolatry, which leads to addictions. We get addicted to whatever it is that we're giving our life to, whatever we think is going to bring us life. Humanism is just the elevation of of human reasoning and humanity over God. We don't need God anymore. We've got this. We are going to figure it out. We don't need to be dependent on God anymore which, of course, leads to unbelief and rebellion. It's like the prodigal son who leaves his father. This is where this descent goes, and ultimately, rejection of God leads to the death of our connection to God. All rejection leads to death if we let it. And then watch what happens next in the garden. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I don't know how long those fig leaves will really last. Whenever we feel shame and try to cover ourselves, it's always a Band-Aid. It, it doesn't last. And that's exactly what happened here. Self-rejection. Ryan talked about this the first week of this series. Guilt, shame, condemnation. When we reject God, when we we reject his word in our life because we think we've been rejected, ultimately we start rejecting ourselves. We start feeling that separation. And this self-rejection also has a descent in the wrong direction. The enemy will lead us down this path if we let him. What starts as guilt, shame, and condemnation goes to self-pity. Then it goes to self-hate. Then we start sabotaging ourselves and our career and our relationships. It leads to depression and despair, leads to self-harm, eventually to suicidal thoughts and then suicide. What we're getting at here is the death of self. 
See, we feel that separation from God because we rejected God's word, and then we start folding in on ourselves, and we feel the self-rejection, which leads to death. Again, rejection leads to death. And it leads to this next thing in the garden. Genesis 3, 8 through 10 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Ultimately, this self-rejection starts leading to fear. Primarily, fear of rejection. They, were so, they hid from God because they were terrified what God would say about them. They felt that they had rejected God, then they rejected themselves, and now the only option is to hide from God because we don't know what he's going to say about us. And in this midst of this fear of rejection, we're scared of what everyone's going to say about us. We're scared that other people are actually going to find out who we really are and reject us. And we're terrified of that. We have enough rejection, right? Or at least we think we do. And so we get focused on what people are thinking about me and saying about me. And we, we spin all these lies and we spin all this, this work to try to craft this image. And we protect that image at all costs because we are terrified that people might actually find out who we are. And again, there's a slow descent here that if we let it, the enemy will walk us down this road. And it starts by being afraid of what people think. It leads to insecurities we start feeling lonely, anxiety around people and what they're going to think of us. We start being deceptive. We start hiding, coveting, right? We look at Instagram and Facebook and start saying, why do they get that life and I don't get that life? Manipulation, occult. You know, when people get dabbling in the occult, which is like the tarot cards and the, and the seances and on the, all that weird stuff, like why they're doing that is because they, they feel out of control and they need to control their environment. So they go to this really demonic stuff to try to control their environment. It's, it's an attempt at manipulation because they fear. They fear rejection. And there's a complete loss of identity and isolation that happens. Listen, it doesn't matter if you're in a crowd full of people. If no one knows who you really are, you're in complete isolation. And you can fill your life with as many people as you want, but if no one really knows you, you are isolated and you feel it in your bones because you're terrified of rejection. And this leads to the death of connection to others. Remember, rejection always leads to death. Final piece in the garden, Genesis 3. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, <laughs> I love this. That woman you put here with me. You can see him pointing his finger, right? She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. God, you're the one that gave me this woman. It's her fault, right? She did it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, no, 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 it was the serpent. He deceived me, and I ate it. It's his fault. <coughs> What's happening here? What's happening is they believed the accusation that God rejected them, so then they rejected God. Then they rejected themselves. Then they were terrified that others might reject them, specifically God. And now the final straw is that they reject others. The man said, no, 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 it's her fault. The woman said, no, 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 it's, it's that serpent's fault. It's the ultimate 
of victim mentality. Everything else is someone else's fault. Everything in my life, I'm going to blame my parents, I'm going to blame my upbringing, I'm going to blame society, I'm going to blame whoever's around me. I cannot take responsibility because it's all everyone else's fault. And this dissent is the same as the others. It starts with blame, but if we let it, the enemy will walk us down this road. It starts with the rejection of others, gossiping about others, angry about others, Greed is on this because you're basically just, I'm going to get all I can get for me. I don't care about anyone else. Judging, slander, eventually prejudice and hate. You know, basically what prejudice and hate are when we're prejudiced towards a whole group of people or hate a whole group of people, it's just, it's just we're just trying to be efficient. I mean, it's like it's burdensome to hate individuals, right? And so just, our, you know... Just out of pure, man, i got to make this more efficient. So I'm just going to hate that whole people group. Just that whole group. I hate women. Boom, there we go. That clears it up for me. Saves me a lot of time. I hate men. I hate those people of that other race, that sexuality. Whatever it is, I just hate them. Which leads to violence and rage and eventually murder. This is the death of others. What started in rejection ends in death. Do you guys see it now? This is what Jesus was getting at in Matthew 5 when he said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. What's he saying here? He's saying, guys, it's about the heart, and if you let your heart on this descent, this is where it's headed. You think you're so righteous because you're not down here. Listen, you're on the same road if you're up here. Get off of that road. You need to be moving in a different direction. See, these precursors to death are really just smaller forms of death. They're just many deaths. Here's what I mean by that. If murder is 100% death, then hate is like 60% death. And anger is like 30% death. Death is in there. It's like the seedling form. It's these little miniature deaths that we experience. It's just a smaller form of the ultimate thing. And when we look at this, all of this, this is what the sting of death is. When when Paul said the sting of death is sin, what he was saying is when you experience this sin in your life, what you're experiencing is the sting of death. You're experiencing a little form of death in your life. When you're blaming others, when you're rejecting yourself, when you're hating yourself, what you're experiencing in that moment, that sting that you feel is sin, and what that is is a little stinging form of the ultimate, which is death. You're just experiencing just an appetizer, a taste of death in each one of these. They're all just a little sting and taste of death leading us down that road, and they all start in rejection, and they all end in death. Why does this matter? It matters because Jesus came out of the tomb to set us free and give us victory over death itself. When God spoke in the garden, he said this, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, some of us read this and we think, oh, if they eat that fruit, then God's going God's to put them to death. God's going to kill them. That's their punishment for disobeying God. But I hope you can see that's not at all the situation. 
The reality is God wasn't saying he would kill them. He was saying they would separate themselves from life and invite death into the garden. Do you see that at every stage they invited death into the garden? When they rejected God, they invited death in. When they rejected themselves, they invited death in. When they were afraid of rejection, they invited death in. When they rejected each other, they invited death in. Do you see over and over and over again, they kept welcoming death into the garden? See, it wasn't God that put them to death. They said, come on in, death. Come on into the garden. Saddle up next to the tree of life. And God said, I can't have that. I can't have death living forever. It has to get out of the garden. So before they were ever kicked out of the garden, they had already invited death into the garden in all of its various forms. And God said, no, death will not live forever. Death can't get up next to the tree of life and try to live forever. Death, you will be separated out forever. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we say we have victory over death, what we're really saying is you don't have to wait for eternity to experience victory over death. If all of these little things are stinging death, if they're all little pieces of death, what God is saying is when Jesus came out of that tomb, he gave you victory over every form of death. Another way of saying it is when Jesus rose from the grave, he cut off death at its root. In other words, he cut off every form of rejection at the core forever. This is a great passage that illustrates this. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. You don't have to hate yourself. You don't have to reject yourself. There is no condemnation. God does not condemn you. It's paid for by Jesus. He doesn't see your sin. He goes on to say, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You've been forever accepted and adopted into the family. God didn't reject you. That was a lie. You don't have to reject him. He's adopted you into his family. He loves you that much that he paid a price to adopt you, to take you out of slavery and into his own family. You don't have to fear rejection. You don't have to fear that God is rejecting you. You don't even have to fear that other people are rejecting you because you are eternally accepted by the Father. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. See, there it is. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to fear rejection from others, rejection from yourself. You've been set free from fear. Perfect love casts out fear, and the Father loves you perfectly. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We don't have to reject others. You know why? Because we're not rejected by God. We're fully accepted by God, and he loves us, and we love him back, and then we don't have to reject ourselves because now we can see ourselves as new creations, and now when we go out into the world, he says, go share my love with everyone, and we don't have to reject other people. We don't even have to fear them rejecting us because we're so full of love that we can now give it away to the whole world. This is the gospel. The resurrection has uprooted rejection at its core. It has cut death at its very core by forever changing rejection in our life. 
Jesus has given us victory over the death of our relationship with God by resurrecting a new relationship with God. We have a brand new relationship with God. We're new creations. He doesn't look at our sin anymore. Every morning we get to spend time with him. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence knowing that grace covers us. We were never rejected by God and we don't have to reject him. We can come every day and know that we're loved and embraced. Jesus has given us victory over the death of ourself by resurrecting a new acceptance of ourselves as a new creation in Christ. This is what we talked about last week. We can look in the mirror. We can say, new creation. It doesn't matter what I failed. It doesn't matter my sin. God looks at me. He says, new creation. And I can wake up in the morning. I can put on the new self. And I, I can look in the mirror. And I can say, you are a new creation in Christ. And I'm beloved. And I'm accepted. I don't have to put on this facade around people. I can actually be myself because God knows who I am and he loves me. Jesus has given us victory over the death of our connection to others by resurrecting a life of vulnerability. A life not enslaved to the fear of what other people will think of us. The creator of all the universe. He was there when you were conceived. He was there when the egg was fertilized. And Jesus saw that. And listen to me, listen to me. It doesn't matter if your mom meant to have you. And it doesn't matter if your dad meant to have you. And it doesn't matter if your family even wanted you because Jesus himself was standing there with a fertilized egg and he saw you before time began. And he said, yes, this is my child. And rejection has no place forever. And when you were born, it doesn't matter who was there. And it doesn't matter who celebrated. It doesn't matter. Jesus was there standing, waiting to hold you when you came out of your mother's womb. He couldn't wait to meet you. He couldn't wait to invite you into the world. He said, this one's mine forever. Child, you are forever accepted in my love, forever accepted in my love, forever accepted in my love. Death has no place. Rejection has no place. Do you hear me? This is the gospel. This is what Jesus did when he came out of the tomb. Finally, Jesus has given us victory over wanting the death of others by resurrecting healthy relationships that are full of love and grace and truth. Guys, if we can get a hold of the fact that we are fully accepted and fully loved, it changes how we treat other people radically changes. See, it doesn't matter if they have their crap together. It doesn't matter if they're a mess. It doesn't matter if they're sinning. It doesn't matter if they're sinning against me. It doesn't even matter if they're rejecting me. This is why Jesus said, love your enemies. Because you were his enemy and he loved you. He died for you. He said, now you're not my enemy anymore. And guess what, Christian? You don't have enemies. You don't have any enemies. You have an enemy, but you don't have any human enemies. You're to love all of them. Why? Because you are loved. You are accepted. You can look past everyone's blundering mistakes, everyone's sin, everyone's corruption. You can look straight through it, and you can see what God sees. So what does it mean that Jesus gave us victory over death? This is what it means. 
Yes, it means through Jesus we have eternal life after death. That is true. That is absolutely true. And for some of you, that's where you need to begin today. Surrendering your life to Jesus to know that forever and ever you will be with him in eternity. But for a lot of us, we need to be reminded that through Jesus, death in all of its forms have been disarmed. Death in all of its forms. The stinger has been taken out. Resurrection has the final word. Death does not have the final word in your life. Death does not have the final word in your life, in your relationships, in how you view yourself, in your relationship with God. Death does not have the final word. Resurrection does. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, When you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When he came out of that tomb, he made a public spectacle of death. Death went at Jesus and gave it its best shot. And Jesus said, thanks. I'm going to take that blow for the whole world. But it wasn't enough to keep him in that tomb. It wasn't enough to keep him in that grave. He rose up victorious over death, victorious over sin. And then he hands us the victory. He says, here you go, church. This is what I won for you. This is what I paid for. A couple questions as we close here. The worship team can come back up. Where does there seem to be a form of rejection inviting the sting of death into your life? For some of you, it's way back. It's way back when you were little. There's this rejection that's still sitting there that's never been resolved. This morning, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come into that place. You felt abandoned. You felt like God wasn't there. You felt like he should have come through and he didn't. The people that were supposed to care for you and love for you didn't. And ever since then, it's been this invitation of death into your life. What part of your life needs a big dose of resurrection life? If we could all stand. This morning is a prayer Sunday. If you need any kind of prayer, if you're dealing with that sense of rejection, that sense of death in your life, and you need resurrection life, and you need some people to pray for you, there's going to be the prayer team down the hall in the sanctuary waiting to pray for you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, this morning is your morning, and we have people waiting for you down the hall in the sanctuary waiting to pray for you so you can give your life to Jesus and have him change everything. But right now, I'd like us all just to close our eyes, bow our heads. And I want you to put that, that feeling of rejection, that place of rejection that you, you feel in your heart, I want you just to put that in your hands, just whatever that is. 
I want you to picture Jesus in front of you, shining, glowing white, risen from the grave. And I want you to take that rejection that, that's deep in your heart. I want you just to hand it to him. Say, Jesus, take this from me. Take this rejection, this root of rejection out of my life. Maybe it's self-rejection. Maybe it's fear of rejection. Maybe it's the rejection of others. Maybe it's the rejection of God. Whatever it is, just hand it to Jesus right now. And I want you just to try to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying right now about you. How he loves you. What he says about that moment that you felt so rejected. Just take a couple minutes for this. Jesus, we just declare that you conquered death. You broke the power of death over our lives. We're so grateful this morning. Holy Spirit, I invite you into all those places that we felt rejected. Just to break the power of rejection in our life. Just to uproot it from the deep places of our heart. This morning, we declare to that place of rejection, we declare resurrection life. We declare death does not have the last word there. Rejection, you do not have the last word there. We speak life over that place in Jesus' name. Father, we're grateful that we are fully accepted in you, that you see us and all that we are. And all that we have been. And you say, that's my child. That's the one I saw at conception. That's the one I saw in the birthing room. That's my son. That's my daughter. Thank you, God, that we are eternally accepted in you. And Jesus, that you are the one that made it possible. And we give you the honor and the glory this morning for your death and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.